Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Hi guys, welcome back to the Die Living Podcast. Today's special guest we have on is Nate Dressel, owner of Endurance Cube. Um, got a pretty exciting podcast coming up today with Nate and talking about everything with endurance for him. So I'm going to go ahead and pass the, uh, the mic back to Nate so he can go ahead and get started uh, introducing himself for the podcast today. Nate, the floor is yours, dude. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Um, Nate Dressel with Endurance Cubed. So a little bit about my background and what I do. Uh, 2004, I joined the Army, ended up getting picked up for selection, made it through the Q course as an 18 Delta. During my time in the Q course, I ended up getting dragged to a triathlon, which uh, has led to now a 12-year career in endurance athletics. Um, so that's led from you know endurance athletics during the military to a civilian career, racing as a professional triathlete and coaching amateurs. Nice, dude. So it's funny, man, you talk about how you were in the Q course and got taken into or thrown into a triathlon right away out of, out of normal. I feel like that is actually a, a normal thing for a lot of guys in the soft community. You know, we're doing so much running and we're doing so much rucking and swimming that a lot of guys end up just kind of becoming a very high endurance type athlete. Um, and I know like that was kind of my realm and my walk after I graduated BRC was kind of, all right, cool. Like I'm just an endurance athlete. That's all I really need to know. Um, it kind of leads me to the next question. What was your strength protocols that you utilized to get ready for this? Or did you not even touch any kind of strength protocols and just focus on the endurance aspect? Yeah. So the, uh, the very first one that I got dragged to was I think a, uh, Thursday evening or Friday morning, buddy of mine asking, Hey, do you want to go do this thing? So, uh, you know, all of that afternoon I got ready to go race on Saturday. Um, <laughs> so really for that, it was basically whatever, PT we were doing throughout the Q course, running, rocking, uh, gym strength stuff. Um, and then transferring from that first year or so of triathlon, I certainly moved into more focused training programs, focusing on much more endurance, um, you know, slow twitch muscle, as opposed to going to the gym, working on more of my speed and strength. Um, as I transitioned over to the professional side of racing, I certainly had to step up the, uh, rigidity of the training and the structure of it to actually make that jump up from being a decent amateur athlete suffering through events to, uh, going over to the pro level and suffering a lot more through events. <laughs> um, it was a rough jump going from amateur to pro. Yeah, it's funny. Um, uh, right now we're currently writing a hybrid program for the power athlete going to do an endurance sport and an endurance athlete trying to go and become a power athlete. And the funny thing right now is, you know, the goal isn't to try and make these guys professional athletes in, you know, endurance sports, making a professional athlete in a powerlifting sport, but the goal is to make them a well-rounded athlete to be able to compete in all of them they wanted to. So for instance, they can go ahead and do a triathlon on one week and then the following week they can go and do decently well in a, in a powerlifting meet as if that was their background or vice versa. 
Um, so it's funny you say that because I'm actually training right now for my first triathlon. Um, I've done multiple long endurance sports before, um, you know, from runs, long runs to, you know, rucks, especially in the military. I mean, I've trained for recon for the recon challenge, which is a 2000 meter ocean fin with full gear into a 26 mile ruck run through the hills and mountains of, um, camp Pellington with events and a whole bunch of other swimming stuff and everything else in it. Um, but I've never really tackled a sprint triathlon. And the one I'm doing is going to be a 500 meter uh, swim, 12 mile bike and a 5k run. And what I'm trying to get used to right now is just a transition from the bike to the run, which actually I'm, I'm feeling a lot better now, four weeks in, it's no longer feeling like dead legs or anything like that. I'm actually able to open up a little bit, uh, a little bit more. Granted, yeah. I haven't ran like I used to back in the day. You know, I've been such a strength athlete for so long. So kind of what me and my coach are doing right now, we're kind of, you know, working together and kind of making it blend to where I'm still focusing on strength work, but still doing the endurance work and trying to really blend all that together. Because I do believe that, you know, an endurance athlete needs to have some kind of strength behind them to kind of handle the, res- the to be, be more resilient to the efforts they're putting in their endurance work and their body and joints to handle all of that. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, I think it's interesting looking at guys from our type of background, uh, coming from, you know, recon SF or Ranger battalion, you get guys like us that, yes, I can go out there and I can run a triathlon. I can go out there, run a marathon, bike for a hundred miles, do all that stuff. But I still have a foot in the door with the SF guard unit, so I still need to be able to put that rucksack on. I still need to be able to carry body armor all day. So there's a, there's a distinct difference between guys coming from our background that want to get into endurance sports versus your typical endurance sport athlete. Um, and I think that's hugely important, especially maintaining you know the mentality that we have, the background that we have, and the things that we want to be able to continue doing on a day-to-day basis to have that strength basis there. Um, you know, to support all of that stuff, but it is a, it's a fine balance between being able to be a proficient endurance athlete and be, you know, a proficient soldier or proficient full, fully functional fitness guy. Um, you know, I look at a lot of my competition, especially on the pro field of triathlon and you throw a rucksack on one of those guys, they would fall over. They, <laughs> they would just tip over. They yeah. would, would crush them. Um, it's it's interesting for us to go out there and race on those levels and still be able to have to do the other parts of our work that we have to do. Um, yeah. So with my amateur athletes that I work with for coaching, I think it's hugely important that they look at more than just their event goals. Yeah. I want them to be able to get to their goal. However, for their whole body fitness, they need that strength aspect in there. And I think if you talk to any of my athletes that I work with or look at their training programs, you'll see a lot more strength work, a lot more functional fitness than you will in a lot of strictly triathlon or strictly cycling or strictly endurance type workout programs. Um, and that being said, you know, it works a lot with the similar, similar to softly programming in that it has building blocks and waypoints along the way. You're not just throwing enormous levels of training or enormous levels of a certain aspect of training at an individual because you're going to end up dropping something else along the way if you do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very, it's a very good, like I, the way I like to think about it is it's a systematic approach to how you train that athlete to be um, resilient for the rigors of the, of just endurance work in general. Cause I'm pretty sure you don't just write for triathletes also, right? You probably write for marathon runners, ultra marathon runners. And um, I've done some, 
ultra workout training plans. Uh, more what I've helped with is, again, along the lines of softly, I've done individual training plans for guys getting ready to go off to selection, guys getting ready to go off to ranger school. Um, and those, those are typically plans for, you know, a guy that's already in has X amount on their schedule, needs somebody to go look at things objectively and say, yeah, you work in the three shop, your life sucks, you're in the skiff, wherever you work and you want to go do this next event. Like I look at it objectively, I pull apart their daily schedule and I add in the training pieces where it fits for them. Um, so it's, it's a different kind of programming that's just a little bit more one-on-one. But again, I'm a one-man operation right now, so I work with about half a dozen to 10 athletes at a time for their programming, uh, be that triathlon, military training, or you know whatever other type of endurance event they're going for. Nice. So like going into like the individual programming aspect, because I run a company called GB3 Athletics is where I started um, right. in, in programming for regional level athletes for CrossFit, national weightlifters, plus tactical athletes, and just your fitness enthusiasts in general. Um, and I know like I've evolved so much in how I pick the athlete up and how I look at what they're going to be doing when they come on a program with me. I don't just look at their programming. I actually look at what's outside the gym and what their purpose, what their priorities are and everything else, because I think that takes priority over just the training plan. I mean, anybody can have any kind of training plan they want, but if they're not having the proper balance and the proper stress outside of the gym, whatever you're doing inside the gym is not going to help them out. So when you do talk about doing, cause it's funny we're talking about individual programming. I just actually did a podcast with uh, Dennis Cheatham on individual programming and group programming, the differences of that. And it's great to see other coaches and see how they take that approach um, with your assessment, your pickup, along with what you're looking for realistically in the athlete and know that they're the right athlete for you to be on endurance cube. Yeah. So, you know, when I, when I first start working with an athlete, I make, I make sure to explain to them, my job as a coach is to be your objective workout piece. Like you've got three kids, you've got a 50 hour a week job, you have anything to work, you have sick kids, chores, all that stuff. It's my job to peel apart your schedule and throw objective training, what you can fit in your weekly schedule. Um, so that being said, my athletes, it's absolutely essential that if they want to continue on programming with endurance cubed, they actually have to give me feedback on all of their workouts. So, you know, I use an online calendar system called training peaks where I can upload their workouts week to week, uh, them using GPS, power meters, heart rate monitors, any of the technology that's out there. It wouldn't matter if they're my next door neighbor or if they're across the country, I see the exact same workout data day to day. So if they're not uploading their data, if they're not giving me workout feedback, really a zero sum relationship. So if I'm not getting that, then I've fired athletes in the past. Yeah, they're paying monthly, but if they're not going to do the work, then I don't want to waste the time working with them. So that's one of my big pieces in, are we going to work as an athlete coach relationship? Do you actually care about this event? Do you want to do the work? Do you want to be objective about your goals? And are you going to actually do the homework that makes it worth my time to go on there and update you every single week? I actually like that, dude. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm gotten to the point to where like I, you know, since coming on to softly as a head of human performance, I've actually cut down athletes and, you know, just a certain number of athletes and, really kind of even harping more on them now for the feedback. I mean, I talk to my athletes via text message, email, um, you name it. Yeah. Instagram, Facebook, just to be more in tune with them, reading their pro uh, reading their information and seeing what they're doing. Um, but what, what it, what I really like 
that you said is you actually, you legitimately like just let go of the athlete if they're not upload, uploading results or if they're not doing the work. So what's the difference? If they are doing the work but not uploading results, do you, how, yes. do you, how do you approach that? Well, if they're not uploading any of their data or even if they're not uploading it right away, they at least have to be giving me some feedback every couple of days. So the way I like to work with athletes, I set up an annual training plan or an ATP, which is yep. basically the yearly skeleton with waypoints of how we're going to get to their A-level event. So we set up their ATP, we figure out their waypoints, and then backwards plan. But I update work workouts for each athlete every single week. And that's based on the feedback that they've given from the week before, their level of training and fatigue, what they have going on at work, what they have going on personally, and then I can edit the next week for them to actually fit their current level of training. Um, so if they're not updating at least weekly, giving me the feedback so I can update their next week, you know, I'll provide them warnings, give them a call, say, hey, you know, you're not updating your workouts. I really need to do this so that we can actually get you to your goal. Um, but I have in the past eventually said, you know what, this just isn't working out. Regardless if they tell me, hey, I'm going out and doing all the workouts, if I don't see the data, I can't objectively plan their future training. Like, I don't know about what their progression is. All I can do is estimate if they did X, Y, and Z, they should be here. But if I don't know that they had a sick kid or, you know, they had to travel for work or whatever else is going on in their life, then it is absolute garbage, whatever I'm putting up there without the proper information. Yeah, that's huge, man. I know, like, it's funny you talk about, you know, the, you know, how their kid's doing if they're sick or whatever else. Um, in my training programs and in my spreadsheets, I actually put on how you feel on a scale of one to 10. Um, what was it? What was the session to you? And then as many no, as much notes as possible right. um, because of the fact that I really want them to really be involved with what they're doing. It's right. funny. It's like, it's like, everyone's like, Oh, you're a single dude. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, but like all my athletes are like my relationships. Right. That is the kind of relationship that I build with them is really being that in tune with their life. And it's actually cool that, you can do that. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a lot of programs out there that are just, and nothing like nothing against group programming is because Softly is a group programming company, right. but we collect so much data from these dudes on the app. And that's funny is like everyone, and we look in the app a lot of times and we know how many people were on the programming and you go and look at the leaderboards and you look at the results. You're like, all right, not everyone is putting their information in there where we want it to be. And we have to go on there and be like, Hey guys, put your results in because it's going to help us create a better program for you for the right. next cycle. Um, because we do program 12 weeks at a time, different cycles come up. For instance, right now on the stamina program, I'm writing a basic endurance program. Um, we're three days a week. They're focusing on a short long or a long short and then a time trial type day. Um, and mm -hmm. then the other three days they're actually working on maintaining strength. So this is kind of where my philosophy comes in. Like, all right, can I make an athlete who is super strong and then make them very in, and, and create a very good aerobic base for them. So when we go back to the strength work, they increase uh, and increase oxygen in the blood, the red blood cells increased, um, and all other all that great stuff that we were utilizing with aerobic capacity um, help build a better strength base. All right, because now after we have, because a lot of times what happens is we get this all the time, dude. Is we have athletes email us and ask us, hey, what's the best program for us to jump onto? And the first thing we ask is, we're like, well, what is your strength numbers and what is your run and all these other good things and what are your goals and what do you feel your weaknesses are? And, and that's a very close relationship we have with someone right off the bat when they email us. And we're currently in the process of trying to make a spreadsheet or not a spreadsheet, but like a pop up on the main site to where it asks you those questions. 
and then it dictates what program you can go to. Again, it's not to create less work on our end. It's to be better for everyone else. So they know where yeah. to go. And yeah, so yeah, go any, for it. Uh, any of, any of my athletes coming on board before we even start working together or before we even discuss like the length of our contract, their goals or anything, they've got an eight page questionnaire that they need to fill out. Um, and that, uh, you know, that, that eight pages goes over like every single bit of their workout history as far as like their athletic, athletic age, um, past experiences, injuries, family life, work life, available training time. But it's a, it's a very in-depth process to get, get that information. And just like you said, it's not to make my job easier. It's to make me more efficient at working with that individual. Yep. So like, yeah, it makes everyone's life easier, but that's not the goal of getting that information. The goal is to be beneficial to, for your athlete. Yeah. So when I think about like being that much beneficial, it's funny dudes because a lot of athletes don't like putting that information out to them, to you. I feel like, I feel like a lot of athletes will kind of like just put what they want to on there instead of being real with themselves. And I've seen that go the wrong way. Also yeah. where athletes put what's, what's, what is not being real for themselves and ends up leading their programming to the wrong place. And then they end up blaming who they end up blaming myself or they end up blaming you or they end up blaming when realistically it's like, well, when we first started this all together, you know, when we first had you come on to programming, were you really honest with yourself and were you really dedicated and really, really focusing on putting all that work in that you really wanted to, because I'm doing it for you. But if you're not going to do it, it's not my fault. That's on your end. Yeah. And that's a lot of what we deal with and well, I'm not deal with, but we don't, deal with on the soft fleet programming, right? We have a lot of guys who come on and stick to it and don't come off. We've had guys come from other companies, other training programs and jump on with us. And they've just been really impressed with how we approach and how, you know, with the company still growing, we're still keeping relationships very, very in tune with everyone else. And, you know, I really believe that is the key to a successful business is building a good rapport and relationship with the athletes on any kind of level. So here's a question for you. Yeah. Uh, since you're, since Softly focuses on group programming, what is your solution to trying to make sure that you have actual athlete compliance with the prescribed workout programming? You know, you might have 80% of them that are really into it and doing it. And then 20% that are paying you for the programming, but it's great to have that money coming in, but you want your athletes doing the program. So what's your, what's your solution to try to get compliance with that, that section of the clients? So that's where, that's the reason why we brought the app on is because of the fact that now with the app, we can actually track every person that is on the app and doing the programming. Um, that is actually the, one of the main reasons why we brought the app on and we're still improving the app to this day. Um, you know, we're putting in rep maxes in there so you can track your rep maxes. We're looking at time trial work of five mile runs, four mile, three mile, even long pieces. We're putting in so much effort into that app so that it makes the athlete not have to think at all. Right. Right. Like it's funny as you're talking, you asked me that question. I'm currently writing the POI for the Softly seminar um, on teaching the athlete how to scroll through the app and utilize the app. But at the same time though, understand why we have the programming the way we have the programming. For instance, when you jump onto the app, the first thing that pops up is when you pick the cycle and the day of work, it shows you what the full day of work is from warm up to cool down. Um, and sorry, from warm up to movement prep into your strength protocol work, into your stamina protocol work, depending if we have any accessory work in there, into our down regulation, breathing work, and mobility and cool down work. And then below that, there is videos for every single thing that we have in there. 
So if you have three sets of the following, which is going to be 90-90 breathing in a supine position into a sideline clamshell, into quadru uh, quadruplet rock back, into a goblet squat, there's videos for every single thing Sounds on sexy. that app. Yeah, it, no, dude, like that's the thing, right? So to answer your question, yeah, I might have 80% of people following the programming. I'd rather have 80% of people following the programming knowing that it's that simple to use and the other 20 to be like, not that that's on them, right? They're not taking advantage of what we're giving to them. It's the same thing as an individual athlete, right? Say, Hey, yeah. like if the athlete's not going to go ahead and update his results and not be in tune with me, like what more can I say? I'm not just going to fire the group guy on the group programming. All we can do is just reiterate, Hey guys, fucking put your programming in there, put your results in there because it's helping us for analytics and data so that we're able to continue making a better program for you guys at the same time, make a better app. That's going to help you guys in the long run. You can uh, publicly shame everyone who's not updating and just throw them up in the team room. Right? Yeah. Just be like, if you're not updating in the team room, we're going to fucking cut your membership. Right? <laughs> I, I'm a guarantee you right now, Brett and Aaron are like, shut the fuck up, George. You're not saying that. <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast and you're on the fucking, on your own, you're on the, on the programming, please start updating your results. If you're not doing it, we know we who you are. There we go. Eventually uh, I'll gain access and Aaron can hate me for it. Yeah. It's, it's funny, man. Cause like, you know, we all have access to the, to the feed. So we answer questions all the time and having to answer all the questions. Um, and it's good, man. Like I said, there's some good questions and then there, and there's no stupid questions, but they're stupid people, right? <laughs> um, nothing like we're not saying our guys are stupid, but what we're trying to, what we're, you know, we try and answer every question. There's a lot of questions that are, uh, re re answer or re asked all the time. And we actually just threw in the feed, uh, hashtags now. So if you hashtag recovery, if you hashtag scale, you can actually click on those hashtags and it's going to bring that question up for them. So again, we're trying to make this app as simple as possible yeah. for the soft athlete. But again, as you know, and I know, bro, like when I was in the dude, like I didn't care about nothing else, but getting in there and fucking hammering myself into the ground, getting a good workout and getting the fuck out. Well, I didn't really collect any of that data back in the day. Right. And if you talk about, you know, looking at all these other schoolhouses and all this stuff, are they really collecting data? Like I know when I was an instructor at the schoolhouse, we collected some data. We collected some of the swim times, some of the run times, but we didn't put it up into any spreadsheets. Oh, you fucking lost that green notebook. Right? Yeah. Like I literally, I was like, all right, cool. Like he did this. Cool. And then all of a sudden, like seven, eight weeks later, we were like, Hey, what was your best time? And we're like, I don't remember. Oh, yeah. fuck. Hey, Hey bro, did you uh, write down his time? Yeah. I don't know where the, I don't know where the paper's at. So that is something that, you know, if, and especially for guys that are listening to right now or in the soft community and if they're not on the programming and if they want to jump on the programming, that they have to know that this is actually going to be beneficial to them and their unit because of the fact that we are tracking their data and they can go look at it again. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think that's an interesting point you brought up about just not collecting data or losing data. Um, using the application that I use training peaks, they did a, a revamp of their website a couple of years ago and I had a, uh, I think it was 2013 or 14. I had a phenomenal, phenomenal race season personally it's like, shit, I'm just going to go back and replicate a bunch of that training, like edit it to what I have going on in my schedule now. So I go back there and I see like everything leading up until like the month before I'm looking or up and back to the month I'm looking for. And they had updated their whole website. Um, you know, I think a lot of that data collection is super important for dudes to have on their own. Or like if you're looking at the soft community for units to have a database that's transferred, you know, throughout throughout their op shop or throughout their team sergeants or something that actually maintains it in-house as well as on whatever application that they're using. 
because it was a, it was a huge kick in the nuts for me. I was like, this was a fucking awesome year. I'm going back. I need to grab a bunch of this stuff. And it was all gone. Like yeah. I can, I can go back and, and rewrite the workouts. There are my own workouts, like for my personal racing, but just the timing and structure of them and like what was going on. Like I had sleep patterns, like my diet and everything, like everything was in it. And that whole app was gone. Thing. that's funny you bring it up to me you bring that up dude because right now um i'm reading i'm almost done with a book called unplugged and it's t- i don't know if you've heard of it before from brian mckenzie and dr Andy galpin and i just actually finished doing a podcast with dr Andy galpin like two weeks ago talking about just human instincts and the and the technology and how it's grown today to where it actually brings athletes to become worse than what they could be um, because they rely on everything. So for instance, yeah. you know, you just said right now, Hey, you know, I had one of my best race seasons, but you went to go look at training peaks to go get your pull program up. Cause you wanted to re reduplicate that. And it was all gone. You're like, fuck, what am I supposed to do now? Um, it's funny. We talk about this because it goes back to like, Hey, this is technology. See, let me, how do you say this? It's showing that you're depending in on that technology instead of trusting your instincts and going back and be able to like get after it the way you want to. Yeah. Um, and it's funny we talk about that. So what kind of technology do you use for your athletes to track stress? Do you use HRV? Do you use body temperature? Do you have them do blood tests to see like what the testosterone and all that good stuff? Is that like, what do you use any biomarkers that you use? It, it varies per athlete based on what they actually invest in. Um, you know, the most common one is just a simple heart rate monitor. Um, and if we look at the type of athletes that I'm working it with, you know, the majority of my athletes are non soft community, soccer moms, software engineers, like guys, guys and girls that just want to go out and compete in local events. So they're not super, super concerned about that stuff. I am when I'm looking at it, but the, the easiest one for my athletes is heart rate and power meters. Okay. So heart rate, they can wear swimming, biking, and running. And with training peaks, I can see every single bit of that data. Um, training peaks can also track, you know, sleep quality. Uh, they have a training stress score that measures workout volume, workout intensity, uh, compared to sleep quality, sleep, sleep length and recovery. And you have a training stress score that you can use for monitoring your recovery. Or, you know, if you have an athlete that's approaching overtraining, um, yeah, heart rate and power are the biggest ones. When I start to see declines in that based on training volume for a certain athlete, that's when I can look at it and be like, all right, you know, this athlete is kind of getting to that verge of their overtraining threshold. So it's time to dial them back for a week or so and kind of ride that cusp until we can ramp them back up again. Um, yeah, for, for working with amateur athletes at the level that my athletes want to do, um, it's not, not nearly as as you know, sending them off to the metabolic card or doing blood testing or anything. We have that capability if an athlete wants that, but to do it day to day is just, uh, it's, yeah. it's not what my clientele look for. So um, question for you now. So you do work with a lot of amateurs, right? Like I said, do you have any professional athletes under you that you program for and get ready for races at all? So throughout the past couple of years, I've had several athletes that have, uh, Transi- transitioned. Yeah. I've been transitioning to the pro level, um, come into our, our company or our programming wanting to get to the pro level. So we have a couple that are pretty close to that. Um, we got one guy, Alex Ryan, he's a uh, Marine out of Naval postgraduate school right now. Um, so he's a super phenomenal age group athlete. I think he's going to make the jump. Um, my business partner, Kaori Funahashi, uh, she is out of San Luis Obispo, California. I think she's about to make the jump over to the pro field as well. Um, so there's a few of them in 
in our in our stable that are getting there. Nice. It's uh, making a jump to the pro field in triathlon. It's like any uh, if you think about like golf or anything, like you have your amateur levels, and then you have to meet in certain qualifications to actually earn your pro license. Oh wow! So okay. Triathlon USA triathlon, which is uh, a subset of the USOC. U.S. Olympic Committee, they set the standards for how you earn a pro license each year. Um, and the standards aren't exactly easy to get to. Um, not so much at, like athletically, they're definitely tough, but they set uh, like prize purse standards and race size standards. So you have to find races that meet a certain amount of money in the prize purse, have a certain size professional field. Um, you know, they have probably like 10 different qualifications all have to line up. So when you look at these races, um, they're few and far between. There's a lot of money to travel to them. And let's say you get a flat tire at one of the races or like any number of unpredictable things happens, you know, you end up spending thousands of dollars and then the whole race is a complete wash. So more so than like these athletes, athletic talent at going out and doing this multi-sport event, it's just really hard to actually find the races that meet all the criteria and make sure that everything goes according to plan that race day. Um, you know, I spent uh, probably two full seasons, like at the very top of the American amateur field for my age group and chasing a pro license. And I had to come in top three at a race with like $30,000 or more prize purse with a pro field and all these requirements and I'd come in like fourth or fifth for like two years straight. Damn. And, you know, it was guys that I have beaten before, guys that I know I could beat. And, you know, you're, you're racing in these razor thin margins, especially when you're looking at like a sprint or Olympic distance race. And uh, if it's just not your day, sometimes it's not your day. So a lot of people that are getting to that cusp of the pro field and triathlon, they just run out of money. <laughs> yeah. Like they just get sick of flying across the country, trying to chase these races and then uh, eventually they're like, you know what? I enjoy racing in the amateur field and they just go back to it. So that, that's another thing right now. I'm watching all of the world's, the world uh, sprint triathlon uh, series that's going on right now. I think that's what it is. Uh, I think they're going to be, they were in Canada last week. I forgot. Oh yeah. That, I, week. ITU. Yeah. ITU. I think there's like yeah. a, a multiple, like multiple week series of just triathlon racing. And I'm actually watching all that stuff right now. And these guys don't get paid very much or they do because they're professional athletes that travel every weekend. Professional athlete. Do you see this dingy couch I'm sitting on? <laughs> I'm pretty sure dirty movies were shot here. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, he's like, cause these guys race every weekend. Have yeah. you, have you done something like that too for yourself where you've raced in a series of multiple races back to back to back to back? Yeah. Um, I think the last time I did something like that was 2015. Uh, I think I stacked about five races in a row. Um, I had, it was a combination of Olympic distance races and half iron distance races. So for, for the listeners who aren't aware of triathlon distances, you have your standard distances, Olympic distance, 1500 meter swim, 40 kilometer bike, 10 kilometer run. Half Ironman is 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike and 13.1 mile run. And the full Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim. 112 mile bike and full marathon run at the end. Um, so yeah, when I was stacking races like that, I would do Olympic and, and half iron distance. So Damn. Olympic is about a two hour race, half iron, depending on the course is anywhere from four hours to four and a half hours for the pros. Um, and I've had 
varying success when I stack competitive events like that. It kind of depends on the training block that I have leading up to it. Um, you can periodize your training in multiple ways. Like when you're stacking events like that, you use certain, some of the events to build up to other events throughout the next following weeks. Um, so even when you're trying to do well at all these events, you have some of them that you qualify as a B race and some of them that you'll qualify as, as an A race. But I had good luck doing it. Um, and part of that was I had, like, I did a lot of base training leading up to this series of races I was doing. So I wasn't doing a ton of speed, but I progressively got better or faster throughout the series of races that I was doing. Um, and like when I'm working with athletes, I've had some athletes do that. It kind of depends on their work schedule. Like if I have an athlete that's super busy at work and then has a month of downtime where they can go do all these events, we get in whatever training that we can, but then use these events like training, training, yeah. training through the event to lead to the last event of the month or something. Um, and we've had pretty good success with it. It's uh, with these endurance sports. It's so subjective to the athlete. And it's funny you talk about that because like I'm kind of, like I said, I'm not writing any triathlon programs for anybody right now. I'm just doing my own um, with my coach and whatnot. And I was actually thinking about that was like with, with weightlifting, right? Every, you know, the last, you know, however many weeks leading into the meet, you do a simulation of like, hey, lifting up to some kind of an opener or you lift up to a heavy single with some drop sets. Um, that's going to focus on kind of getting that heavy rep in and doing drop sets to keep the speed going there. Um, kind of look at it like now what you just explained was like, Hey, you're going to do four races in four weeks or five weeks. Let's say you're gonna do four races in five weeks. Yep. The first three races are going to be back to back to back. Then you're going to have a break to recover. And then you're going to taper into your main set. Is that something you, you would actually recommend or kind of, am I on the right track there? Or how yeah. the periodization, how the yeah, periodization yeah. for the athlete there? Yeah. Um, so like it depends on what races, what distance you're going to do as well. So something like that, I would say, let's say we're doing four races in five weeks and you have, you want to do two half Ironmans and two Olympic distance races. So I'd probably do something like a lot of base training leading up, do your half, one half Ironman at the beginning, two Olympic distance races, and then a two week break before your next half iron. So you get that half iron at the beginning, which is a, it's a long race. You have that as like a B or C race like go balls to the wall at your shorter distance Olympic races, use that speed that you've built up training like through those two Olympics to convert it into a really good fast half iron at the end of that five weeks. So you've got plenty of base, you've got some really good speed, quality speed work in there. And then you have, you know, another week of tape or another week of working out and a taper week before that last event. Um, I think that's a, it's not a sustainable racing model throughout an entire season, but if you're throwing a block like that at some point in your season, I think it's just fine. Yeah. And what does a season entail? How long does a season entail? Does that dictate on the athlete or does that dictate on like the time of the year and where you're at? So again, subjective, depending on what that athlete wants to do for amateur athletes, a typical season will go from April or May timeframe through September, October timeframe. Um, if you look at the pro schedule, like, the top tier pros, they'll typically race from the, the American pros or North American pros. They'll go from about February, starting down some South American or Asian races all the way through uh, November timeframe. So they really only get like two months downtime. Wow. Okay. And that being said, they still have 
you know, guys will take lulls in the middle of the season. So they'll have a peak at the beginning of the season, do a couple B races in the middle, and then a peak towards the end of the season. Um, and with any of the triathlon stuff, they have like ITU as a point series. So all the guys doing these sprint and Olympic distance races that you're watching, they're racing for points to win an ITU cup at the end of the season. Okay. Um, same thing with Ironman or half Ironman races. The brand that owns that has a point series where guys are trying to get to half iron world championships or Ironman world championships in Hawaii. Um, so that dictates where for the pros anyways, that will dictate where they're going to compete, like how many points are available. What's the rest of the field look like? Can they cherry pick a couple points? And that'll dictate a lot of their schedule. So this leads me to the next thing for an amateur when they're getting ready to go in the race. Cause I'm pretty much an amateur, right? I am like, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I'm having fun training this way. Yeah. I am feeling fucking amazing. I was, I, I, when I first started, I was sitting at like 215 pounds. <laughs> I was a big boy and yeah. I'm slowly cutting down now. And I'm actually sitting at about 203 and my fighting weight when I was in the Marine Corps and I was an instructor and I was in deployments so was around 185, 190 best three mile run at the time was like a 19 minute. Um, but for an amateur, when we look at this, right, what are some of the key points you look at for an amateur going into a race? Obviously, I'm asking this for myself, but for the listeners also. So talking about body weight, um, I have athletes that, you know, they're whatever, 7 8% body fat, slim guys. They're pretty quick. Um, and I've got amateur athletes who are carrying around about 50 pounds of extra gut, but they just like being out there. They like the atmosphere. They like competing and completing an event. Um, you know, obviously the fitter that you can be, the more comfortable you're going to be when it comes to competition time. Like you said, your fighting weight was quite a bit, 20 pounds lighter than you are right now. Well, it's uh, actually now I'm, now I'm about, I'm about 12, 10 pounds less now. I am about 10 pounds away now. Okay. Yeah, you feel better when you're at that weight for, for these endurance type events. Like if you need to hump a ruck all day, if you need to wear body armor all day, it sucks when you're over 200 pounds. It's a lot more yeah. comfortable at 185. Um, it's the same thing for being out there in the heat running. The less body fat you're carrying, the more efficient your body's going to be at dispersing heat. You're just going to be more comfortable. Um, I think for amateur athletes going out there for any of these events, the mental aspect is huge for them. Um, I think guys first getting into it have a much easier time going out there and being like, yeah, this is a ton of fun. I really like it. I like the competitiveness. I like the atmosphere. I like the camaraderie. They just enjoy doing it. It's easy to go complete the event. As amateurs move throughout their endurance career as amateurs, I think they hit a lot of mental hurdles. Um, you know, trying to figure out what they, what are they trying to gain from doing these types of events? Like, all right, I'm paying a coach 200 bucks a month. My bike is $5,000 a month or $5,000. I'm spending 15 extra hours a week training away from my family. Like my wife fucking hates me because I live on my bicycle and I spend all my time and money on it. So as they progress throughout their amateur athletic career, they, a lot of guys really struggle with the mental aspect of, is it worth it? Should I keep throwing my time and effort at this? I'm not like, even for the amateur level, they have to earn points. They have to qualify to go to these world championship amateur events too. Oh, there's just world championship amateur events. Yes. There are. Uh, they typically, they typically share the same, the same venue as the pro events. Awesome. Um, so like Ironman world championships is the pro and amateur championships. 
So amateurs is broken down by age groups. Uh, they have five-year brackets, so you're competing against relatively similar athletes for that age group. But when you get, you know, let's say there's 20 slots for your age group at Ironman World Championships, and you're consistently ranked 22 in the world for the amateurs. Guys hit that point, and they really struggle mentally as an amateur. Okay. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest hurdles is – you know, you're, like you said, you're really enjoying this right now. What do you do when you get to that point where you're like, man, I put so much time and effort in that I'm not enjoying it. See, and that's funny. You asked me that question, right? Cause I've actually been in that realm. Dude, when we go back to being the best at exercising, which is CrossFit. Right. Um, I was an instructor at the schoolhouse training students, getting ready for fucking getting ready to graduate BRC, the special operations schoolhouse. I was doing that plus training CrossFit, ruck running, swimming, doing all that great stuff. Um, it became very competitive, was doing very well. And it got to the points where I didn't understand like my purpose or my identity or like where to go with that. So I think this is a great rabbit hole that we're on right now because the same thing for, for CrossFit or for regionals or for national level weightlifting or for selection, you're going to have guys at that position, right? And it's going to come down to how bad do you really want it? And what does it really mean to you? And do you understand the sacrifice that you're going to have to put into this to make it happen. And does your family support you in it? Again, at the same time, there's a balance that you have to create. And actually like with what I'm doing now, like I, am not gonna lie to you. I came from, I've been up in, like I was being a competitive CrossFit athlete. I went to be comparing a competitive weightlifter, um, you know, from being in in the soft communities and all that good stuff, trying to run a business, run a gym, um, you know, everything, you name it. And it came down to the point where I was like, all right, what is my purpose, my identity? Right. So I understood right away that I needed to create like, what are my priorities? And that's what I did. I put my priorities and my pros and cons. I put everything down. And that's what happened. Now, with my training for tri- for you know the sprint triathlon coming up for myself, that was me actually. Yeah. Um, coming up for this, I'm actually using this as a break from work, right? Yeah. So I'm actually turning the training into a positive aspect and being like, all right, I train because I want to stay fresh and stay mentally there for my work that I'm producing so I can continue growing as a, as a, as a strength conditioning coach, as a human head of human performance. Right. Cause I'll tell you this right now, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, if I wasn't training how I'm training, if I wasn't doing any of that stuff, I wouldn't be able to be where I'm at today as a, not just as a coach or as a strength coach or as a conditioning coach or as any of that, but as a human being, as a, as a man of, I am today. So that's a great topic that you bring up, right? Cause like we look at those guys now at sitting at 22nd and they need to make top 20. It's like, how about you take the pressure off yourself? Enjoy the training, enjoy the training. I guarantee you, you're going to make top 20. I guarantee you. So, you know, I'm writing an article right now on this very subject. I actually just sent a drink, you know, I drafted the first couple paragraphs over to Brent the other day, but uh, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be pushing an article over to Softly in the next week or two uh, based on this very topic, but going into it briefly, um, like finding that joy in training, you'll always be better. Yeah. So my absolute fastest season that I had as a, it was my first and second season as a pro athlete. Um, like every single workout, I went at it with a purpose. I absolutely loved it. I'd had this on my bucket list for years. Like, all right, I've been a green beret. That was cool. It was like a military job that just kind of happened. Um, but ever since I first started, like ever since the first triathlon I went to, when I learned like, Oh, there's, there's next tier to this. Like, that's what I want to do. 
I want to be the fucking best. Well, that's what you just did to me right now. Like you just told me there's amateur racing for triathlon. Like yeah. my first one now, like I'm going to go out there and see how it is. And then like, I know I'm going to have fun with it, but there's one in October, like two weeks later, like I'm going to just jump into it for fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's like enjoying it. You'll be the fastest you'll ever be. Well, yeah. My first two years as a pro is like, I fucking did it. I got my pro license. I'm going to be the fucking man. I'm going to get a paycheck. I got my fucking ass kicked. <laughs> But it was motivating. Like every single race that I went to, I was like, holy shit, that dude's been to five Olympics. That's fucking badass. I'm on the same starting line as him. That's fucking cool. I'm proud to have my ass kicked by that guy. Um, like every single workout that I did, I was like, this is fucking awesome. I'm living my dream. And then in my pro career, I hit year three. And I don't know exactly what happened with my training, with my racing, could have been that I went back on full-time military orders. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I got sick of getting my ass kicked. It's like, fuck man, every race I'm showing up for punishment. Like I've been doing this for two, two years as a pro. I've been working out 20 to 25 hours a week. I was getting faster year three. I feel like I'm getting slower or the other guys are just getting faster compared to where I'm sitting. Um, and it got mentally really difficult to keep showing up for punishment. Like I'm spending money, I'm flying all over the world and just getting my ass kicked at every single event. Um, so I did that for year three and four as a pro. Uh, the end of 2016 was my fourth year as a pro triathlete. And I went out to a race in Des Moines. It was an Olympic distance race in Des Moines and uh, got to the finish line. And it was like a Forrest Gump moment there. I was like, I'm going home now. I was fucking done. So that was September 4th of 2016. I didn't take my bike out of its travel case. Like I threw it in my storage unit, left it in its case. All my dirty shit was in there. I didn't take it out till May. Damn. So I didn't Oh, swim. this year. Yeah. I didn't swim. I didn't run. I didn't bike. I went out and skied and drank a lot of beer. Good job that uh, was completely away from, like I was still coaching athletes, but I took a job that was completely away from me doing anything fitness related. And uh, woke up in May and was like, all right, I'm ready now. Like, I want to go out and train. So this year, I'm getting quality training in. I'm getting tons of volume in. And I've done a couple races for fun. Uh, I think I've taken a first place, a third place, and I think a fourth place overall at the races that I just jumped into this year. Like, shit, I'm not really trying that hard. I'm just enjoying going out and training. Like, I refound that joy that I had in the first two years of being a pro racer and my fitness is way better than it was years three and four when I was just doing it as a chore, like something I had to go out and do. So that mental aspect is absolutely huge. When you get into any of these competitive sports, like the entry level amateur is a ton of fun. I'd love to kind of go back to that once I'm done with this, but like it's a ton of fun. And then you hit that, that gray zone. Like, is it worth this? can I get to a next level? Can I compete? Can I win? Or should I just take a step back and really enjoy doing it? But once you're in that gray zone, you need to figure out what the purpose is. Like, why do you do this to yourself? Why do you spend money on this? Why are you spending all this time on this? And for what? And once you can figure that out, you can either take a step back and just enjoy it, or you can figure out how to make that jump to the next level and just go fucking kick ass at it. Yeah. And, and like, 
what's what's interesting is you talk about the psyche of it and i look at this in this way do you like the psyche of it all you can turn every negative thought into a positive thought or turn it into a positive reinforcement of as as fire as fuel right. and a lot of times what happens is i feel like society nowadays doesn't understand how to do that no no everyone there's no, there's social no no, there's social media, there's fucking everything, and everyone sees everyone doing so good, and you're like, I guarantee you that is a fucking front for yeah. half of that stuff. Like, no one really tells you that they're feeling like shit coming into the day's training session. I'll be honest, like, so today I had, a, I had that 750-meter um, time trial today, right? Yeah. And I was supposed to clock my, I clocked my 500, but kept finishing. And my warm up, like I kind of got into like a, a nice little warm up, kind of did my cars, which is control articular rotations to get my body moving, jumped in the pool, did a couple of laps here and there. And my heart, my heart rate spiked like that, dude. And I was like, uh Oh, this is not, this is, uh, I, I know my body pretty well. And like, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't use heart rate monitors no more. Um, I use my phone for tracking. That's it. And because I'm not going to lie to you is as an amateur racer, this is my thought and my philosophy now coming into this realm is I needed to learn my body. So I know when to push and when not to push. So I know when it comes to race day, I know when I can push. I know how good I feel. For yeah. instance, yesterday, dude, I fucking felt like a hundred bucks. I got on the bike and did a 12 mile bike into that, that 5k run. And it was said 80, 85% effort brick session. And my 80, 85% effort, dude, ended up giving my best three mile run I've done since I've been running past in the past four weeks. But today I came in and like, it took me almost 20 minutes just to kind of like get my body in, into the groove of stuff. I did yeah. some breathing work. I did some sprints in the pool real quick before I started the time trial ago. Um, but I think that's, that comes with experience as myself, as a coach and yeah. everything else like that. So for the amateur athlete who isn't really, really in tune with their body, do you, would you take away their heart rate monitors and their power meters and all that good stuff? Um, it kind of depends on the athlete again. Like some people get completely wrapped around numbers where as an amateur athlete, I don't particularly want you looking at numbers. Like I don't want you staring at your watch the entire time you're working out. I want to know the numbers, but I don't want you staring at them. Like, for super amateur endurance athletes, a lot of times what we do is RPE or rate of perceived exertion. So like you just said, you're doing an 80 to 85% effort. Do what you think is 80 to 85% effort. Me as a coach, I want you to wear your heart rate monitor and just upload the data later. Eventually, we'll be able to peel all this data apart and figure out like what is your true 80 to 85% heart rate. But like for any amateur athlete just going into it, go out, enjoy the workout, use RPE, and let me look at the data for you. Um, it's funny that you say that you get got rid of the heart rate monitor and all that stuff and don't use it. Um, I actually have not used a heart rate monitor myself. Um, I think the last time I wore one was Ironman Arizona of 2015. Yeah. And I didn't train with heart rate leading up to it. I just knew like, all right, if I sit at 150 beats per minute, I can go all day doing an Ironman. Like that's, that was the reference. I, put an alert on it. Like, all right, if you go 10 beats below or 10 beats over, just beep at me. But I just stayed in that, you know, 150 average zones. Like as long as I stay there, I'm good for the day. Um, that being said, I've been doing this for going on 12 years, strictly endurance athletics. So I know where I'm sitting. Um, I was pretty religious on heart rate monitors and power meters when I was at like the top of the amateur field and my first year or so of pro racing. Um, 
as far as that sort of data, that in, instant data while you're working out. I got on my bike one day a few years ago with the power meter on it. Like I was going to the store to get beer or whatever, like just fucking riding three miles down the road. And I was staring at my power meter the entire time. It's like, I don't want to ride. Like I didn't enjoy riding a bicycle since I was five years old. I've enjoyed riding a bicycle. And when I got on a bicycle to go to the convenience store and had to stare at power data, the next day I took my power meter off and never put one back on. Um, I do have a power meter on my stationary trainer though. So when I'm doing stationary trainer workouts and I'm in a super focused like threshold zone or VO2 zone, I do have power meter and heart rate for that. But anytime that I'm riding outside, it's, I'm just riding. That makes sense. Like I can, I can completely agree with you on like, all right, cool. Let's wear a heart rate monitor and let's go and put a power meter on my bike for stationary because you're not really going anywhere. So you have to, again, we go back to the data, right? We go back to analytics and understanding like I need to know some kind of data because I really being on this, on a bike trainer, I feel like you can't really get the same kind of force that you feel on the road. It depends on the trainer. Um, So I, I have a, I use something called a compu trainer. Okay. It, it's my own bike that it goes on it and it's got an electromagnetic resistance unit for the rear wheel. So I can actually program in different race courses from all around the world and it'll actually change resistance for that actual grade of that race course. Um, that thing's probably like fucking $5,000 probably too. Uh, <laughs> they weren't cheap. Jesus um, Christ. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I can also, I can do all sorts of programming on there where like I can set it for, I have a workout that I do where I'm doing six by six minutes at my threshold zone. So I can set that. So, you know, if I know that my threshold is 255 Watts, I can set it so that it's automatically going to hold 255 Watts resistance for that six minutes and 150 Watts for my recovery zone and like automatically switch back and forth. So like, I don't have to think about that training. Like that's a super sucky workout to do six by six minutes at threshold. So if I can use technology that takes away, takes away the ability to cheat and takes away the thinking when I'm puking over my handlebars, like that's great. Yeah, that's hilarious. Can you still hear me? Cause I hit a button on my microphone by accident. Yeah, I got you. Oh, okay, cool. Um, that's, that's so funny. Dude, you talk about that. Cause when I did the podcast with Dr. Andy Galpin, we were talking about how, uh, Brian McKenzie was out running with one of his athletes or one of his friends and his athlete, or I don't know if it was his friend, but anyways, he was running and the guy kept looking at his heart at his, at his watch and the watch kept saying, uh, it said like, Oh, don't go. Like it was at 160 beats per minute. And yeah. the guy was like, Hey, let's slow down, Brian. I can't go any faster because I'm about to like blow up. And Brian's like, bro, you're having a full conversation with me right now. Like, what do you mean you're going to blow up? Like stop fucking listening to that. And it's the same thing right now. Like I, I just bought it when I bought my first bike, dude. I mean, I got lucky, dude. I got, I've got a 2016 bike that was like two grand for like a thousand dollars. Cause they're having like a discount and whatever else on it. Granted, it only has nine gears on it. So not 11. Um, but it's, it's a good bike though, dude. It's a really good starter bike. And that's all I have. I just put arrow bars on it for the first time. And I actually really enjoy that. Um, but I have never had no power meter and I just got in the mail today, a time meter and a distance meter. Um, because I don't want to use my cell phone. Like I'm, I'll leave my cell phone alone. I'm just going to put it there. Um, and again, like I said, I don't like listening to music when I'm writing. I like to like just be in tune with like 
nature and yeah, <laughs> just all fucking. Yeah. Like, if I'm out running trails or I'm out mountain biking or out on the road, like I live in Park City, it's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, I don't need to be staring at a power meter. I don't need headphones in. Like, yeah, if I'm stuck in my house, I'm stuck on a trainer, I'm stuck on a treadmill, I'll use technology. Fuck I'll yeah, get all the data that I can, have the most efficient workout that I can while I'm stuck inside. But ultimately, you're going to be a better athlete if you enjoy the workout that you need to do to get to your event. Yeah. And trust and trust human instincts. Like go back to like how you were back in the day. Um, now dude, I I really appreciate the time you taking with me on this podcast. Like I said, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like I know we hit you up like two, I hit you up like two, three weeks ago and it's been kind of busy lately and whatever else. And I really didn't know exactly what to talk about on the podcast. I just kind of knew like, Hey, let's go and just free flow. But I really, the podcast that we're putting out is going to be very beneficial to a lot of, a lot of athletes that are in, your realm i know we didn't talk a lot about the tactical athlete but i again like i said that what we're doing with soft is not always is not just for the tactical athlete we're trying to promote you know our motto is die living get out have fun get outside and enjoy it and that's the reason why i really like bringing on guys who live the life who do it and who enjoy it man like and you're 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 a testament to it like you know saying like you're a pro racer for triathlons you're doing all the good stuff um and talking to you actually kind of motivated me to see even more to like you know get into get into it. And like I said, I'm never going to not stop lifting weights, dude. I, I will lower down to 195 and I'll still snatch clean jerk back squat, front squat. You know, I want to now be, be able to see if I can try and after this first one, you know, I mean, what is a good time for a first race for a try for a sprint? I'm doing a 500, 12 and a 5k run. I don't know. You're shooting for like an hour ish frame on that. Full okay. swim or open water. Huh? Full swim or open water? It's open water in the bay in San Diego. Oh, nice. Yeah, you're shooting for about an hour on there. All right. Um, a lot of times we'll have – a lot of times the sprint distance will start at a 750-meter swim. Um, you know, you just did a time trial. Like swim – extra distance on the swim can add a lot of time. Um, so, yeah, about an hour for that 500-meter, 12-mile bike, and 5K run. Um, what about October? Jumping into – yeah, I don't know. Actually, I might just do it for fun. Why not? I mean, it's Olympic distance is what is it's going to be. You said a 1500 meter swim into 40 K bike, which is just under 25 miles and a 10 K run. Like I can do that. Three no hours, problem. Of, three hours of working out. You're good. Yeah, dude, I actually might do that. I know I have a couple of buddies who are doing that, but they're doing the sprint only. So I might end up jumping in and doing the Olympic just cause I mean, why not, bro? Like, this is, this is the way I look at it as, right? Like, I got stuck for the longest time in being like, if you're training CrossFit, you can just train CrossFit. If you're training weightlifting, you just got to train weightlifting. And then, like, nothing against, like, I love CrossFit. Dude, if, a lot of people wouldn't be where they're at today if it wasn't for that. Um, you know, I wouldn't be making a living if it wasn't for that. Like, there's a lot of things out there, right? Like, I didn't bring in the strength conditioning world. But I look at it like this. If you, if you watch the games and the listeners who just watch the games, you had on the first day of that game's you had guys running a mile and a half run into a 500 meter swim into a mile and a half run. And then they went and did a, a race on the bike. Yeah. And these guys are putting up top times. You look at these times they're putting up and, and I don't know exactly the times in, in, in amateur, but I look at these times and I'm like, dude, that dude just ran a mile and a half in nine minutes, just swam a 500 in like nine minutes and then just ran his last mile and a half in eight minutes. Like, yeah, that's impressive. And then to go and crush bikes and then the next day come in and snatch almost 275 pounds plus. Yeah. And do all that. Like that right there tells me like, there's no limits on the fucking human body and just get the fuck out there and just get after it, dude. And that's my motto now, right? Like I'm doing this triathlon on, on the 17th and now I'm going to jump out and go do a fucking Olympic. Why not? Like, why not go do it? 
and what's funny is and what's funny is I haven't told you this yet. So I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm, so I'm scheduled right now to do a, I have like a, a trend, like a transition brick session kind of coming on tomorrow. And then Sunday I might jump into weightlifting meet for fun. There you go. Right. Um, and, but why not try and go do the Olympic at either? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think you'll find like as you or any other soft league guys get into, if they want to get into endurance, com- competitive endurance athletics, um, there's such a wide breadth in what you can do from like your local 5k to pro Ironman athlete. Um, but as people get more and more into it, like if you get the tri bug, you're going to find that doing the short course events, tons of fun. You can stack them up. You can like, you can hop in the next day. I'm racing tomorrow. I just decided I was going to race yesterday for a local Olympic, like short distance events are fucking miserable. Everyone thinks about the Ironman. Yeah. It's, going to be nine hours, nine hours suffering out there, riding a bike and running a marathon, but it's mild suffering. Yeah. Like you can go ruck all day long. Like, Oh yeah. All right. I'm rucking all day long. But if you have to go like run a 5k with your ruck on four time, that shit sucks. Oh, it does. When you go into short distance events, when I do an Olympic distance race, it's two hours like of most of the time I do end up puking, but like two hours of just like, all right, how, how fast can I sprint and how long can I maintain it before I fall over? <laughs> it's fucking miserable. But it's addictive. Like any competitive event is addictive. Yeah. We're all type A guys. Like, fuck it. I just want to crush that dude's dreams. I don't actually care about winning. I just want to crush somebody else's dreams. So it's funny, man, is I had a, like a mentor and I hope he listened to us. I'm actually just text. I'll probably text him and be like, uh, Nick pickles is what he's going to go by. Um, when I was training, we were actually in Iraq, we were doing a, we were on camp, uh, camp cupcake is what we call it. I'm pretty sure you know, camp cupcake. Um, we had just gone back from mission and we were going on for some ruck runs and runs. And obviously as a recon guys, you're in your black and black with a ruck on your back and you see all the fucking, all the support people in their green on green. And he was like, if you have a ruck on your back and you see someone in green on green running in front of you, that's almost less than a mile or less in front of you. You better fucking catch them. And I was like, and I was like, why? He was like, just crushes their fucking soul to see you have a ruck on their back on your back. And then you just passing them while they feel like complete shit. And I was like, Roger that. So ever since that meant like that, he went down, dude, my goal always been is like, I'm always going to make it harder for myself or I'm going to try and just crush everybody around me. And if that means I got to crush, but it's funny we say that because right now I'm pushing like, hey, be smart about how you crush it, right? Like, I'm not crushing myself in training. I'm going to crush no. myself at the fucking race. Oh, you best believe. Yeah. But I, I didn't crush myself during training. I, I prep my body. I prep my mind, my body, and everything else to be ready to fucking crush it on that day. Yeah, man. So, like, so much of this stuff opens up so many wormholes. Like, <laughs> let's, go with, let's go with the mentality of racing. Yeah. Like, training – most of my training, like 80% of it, I do base, base work. Like that's same here. Yeah. Like I want to recover fully so I can nail my key workouts. Super easy, long base. I like I, as a pro athlete, I run like nine minute miles during my training runs. Oh, I, I'm tracking you on a, is a strivia. How do you call it? Strava? Yeah. Strava. So I track yeah. you. I saw you running like nine minute miles and I was like, I'm running nine minute miles right now for like my stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But race day or, or like my key workout events, I fucking crush it. Yeah, like yesterday, like my brick session yesterday, I crushed it. Yeah. So, you know, that training balance of I need to actually recover so I can get 100% of my key workouts. If I do 90% of all my workouts, then I just live in 90%. Fuck it. Nobody cares about 90%. You're an A-minus fucking athlete. (laughs) But if I do 80% 
70 to 80% for my active recovery, then I can nail my key workouts and be a fucking beast on race day. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about while we still have a little bit of time. Oh yeah, go for it, man. Fucking race day mentality. Let's do that. Yeah. Like I, we have all the time in the world, but I have nothing going on. I don't have a, I don't have nothing until three o'clock anyways. So we're good. So, I am driven crazy by athletes who are able to go out there and train for 15 to 25 hours a week. They actually get their recovery time in. They train really well. They've got quality workouts and they don't have the fucking mentality to go out there and be a fucking warrior. I don't fucking understand it. Like why would anyone put in that much time and dedication and not go out there and try to be the fucking best when it counts? Like, I, I just don't fucking understand it. That's, that's so funny you say that, man. That's completely true. It's, it's like use your training as skill development and like really to prep the body and have that recovery. But hey, when it comes down to game day, it's like all that's through the window. Your body's going to know what to do and just fucking let go and get after it. And don't be a pussy. <laughs> no. So, you know, when guys get out there and like I've had athletes that I've personally coached and I look at their training and I'm like, this guy is like, this guy is a fucking pro across the board. And I've had like fucking months where I'm like, yeah, I'm really not into it. I'm going to go drink beer instead of go to sleep the night before the race. And I'll get out there, but I fucking suffer on race day. And that athlete that's trained phenomenally better than me just can't push themselves to that point of hurting enough. Like you put the work in, why would you race at 95%? It was uncomfortable. Yeah, it's fucking uncomfortable. But why are you racing at 95% and staying at 95%? Like, if somebody's passing you, you better fucking bump it up to 110. <laughs> like, don't, don't be a pussy. Yeah. I don't get it. And there's so many, so many people out there, like, in the endurance world, in the strength world, in the fucking military world, that are just fucking pussies. Yeah. And that, like, that seriously bothers me when guys will spit a big game, put in all this work, or like, I guess, I, I guess they're, they're feigning work or something. I don't know. Cause it, when it comes down to game day and they don't perform, what's it's for shit. It's, it's all psyche, man. And it goes back to that. Right. So like, it, it's just psychological. Like there's something in their mindset that, you know, they're nervous. They don't know how to control it or it just comes down to their training program. Like, you know, they, they just blew their load throughout the training program. And then when it came time for race day, it was, and again, like I see you, like you're like, ah, it depends. But the thing is, though, is I think that's really too where it comes into play is like the communication that the coach has to have with the athlete and being like, look, this is what's going to happen. And like, for instance, like my coach, like when I told him I wanted to do a try, he was like, you serious? I was like, yeah, why not? He was like really surprised because I haven't been a competitive athlete for a while. And right. like, I don't think, I, I'm not going to lie to you. At that time period when I said I wanted to do a try, I was like, I want to do a sprint. I didn't realize like my mindset behind it was like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and go like 80, 85% on the swim, the bike and the run. And like, I think I'll be fine. Started watching fucking races and seeing these dudes hold like 95 to hundred percent on their swims, their bikes and their runs. And I'm like, yeah. these dudes are finishing all of this in less than 60 minutes. Like I saw dudes running three miles in 15 minutes, bro. After swimming and biking. After swimming and biking. I'm like, how in the hell? <laughs> Again, yeah. granted, these guys, it's, that's legit their sport they train for. They weigh 160 to 170 pounds. And that's like what I they said, do. Give, give them a rucksack. See what yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's put a ruck on their back. Uh, so I can't feel I, bad. I, I, they're all super nice guys, right? But they're, they're not functionally fit. Yeah. Um, but, but to the amateur level, like I, I, can't, I can't wrap my mind around – 
when I'm told, when, when an athlete tells me whether it's my athlete or any other athlete on the course, I'm like, man, why didn't, why didn't you run faster? I thought I was going to puke. And why didn't you run faster? Like I passed you and you didn't even try to answer. Why didn't you run faster? I was uncomfortable. I don't, I don't understand that answer. It just doesn't fucking register. It is troubling to me. Like in a, in a, in a sense a fear for our society. It's troubling to me that people are that afraid of discomfort or failure. Like, yeah. Okay. What? Maybe that other athlete's still going to beat you. Maybe they're still going to be better than you, but why didn't you try? Like, why didn't you try harder than what you were trying already? Like you say you tried, like that try wasn't hard enough. Like yeah. try harder. And that's the funny you talk about that, right? It's like uh, one thing that I used to tell my students as an instructor was like, Hey, pain is temporary, but being a recon marine is forever right? And you can use that motto in fucking life. Pain is right. temporary, but your pride is going to stick with you for the rest of your life. That race is going to stick with you in the back of your head and be like, what if there was a book that was put out called, I fucking forgot the name of the book. And I read it. Um, Mike Fitzgerald wrote it. It was called, uh, damn it. My mind just went blank on it. It's a great book. I've read it too before. Um, but he talks about like having no what ifs. So like after you're done with the race, did you have any what ifs at all on that race? Could you have gone faster here? Could you have gone faster there? Could you have gone faster there? And he talked about, you know, the psyche behind him being like, you know, go out there and give your 110% and have no what ifs when you're done. Um, yeah. oh, is it, oh, let me look for it. I got to look for it though real quick. God damn it. Are you looking it up right now? The ageless warrior? No, 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 no. It's, it's just came out. Let me see real quick. Damn it. I, I totally forgot the name of that book. Actually, you know, I think it's on my, it's on my iTunes book too. Um, I mean, yeah, well, you're looking that up. Like I've, I've been doing this for 12 years racing and I can't even count the number of races that I've come. I've hit the finish line and the second I cross the finish line, I'm kicking myself in the ass. I'm like I could have done better. Even if I'm like last place in the field yeah, and there's a 10 minute gap between me and the next guy, I've had so many races where I've hit the finish line and like I could have done better even if I could have narrowed it down to a nine minute gap between that next guy, yeah. like I could have done better. And then I have races like races where I've gotten my ass handed to me in the pro field, but I came away, I crossed the finish line. I was like, I fucking laid it out there and it was awesome. Yeah. The book's actually called how bad do you want it from mastering the psychological of the mind over the muscle um, by Matt, Matt Fitzgerald, not Mike Fitzgerald. I'm sorry. Oh, Matt Fitzgerald. Yeah, I know. Him. Yeah. Yeah. So that book was really cool. Um, but it's funny you talk about that dude. Cause like the past four weeks, it's been really hard for me to kind of get into that mindset of like the pain again. Cause I haven't done it for so long. And like I said, this week is actually the first week where I've actually had to break breakthrough and be like, Oh, this is it. I feel good now. Like, awesome. Let's all right. I'm going to increase this a little bit. I, I like how this feels now again. Um, and I yeah. think a lot of athletes don't are not present or enjoy that moment at all. No, um, kind of funny like this. I've had great training quality and volume up until this week. And I had a point where I was like, I'm tired. So like this week's been pretty easy for me, which is part of the reason why I decided to jump into this race tomorrow. Like, well, by default of being tired, it kind of turned into a taper week. So I might as well yeah. kind of kick, kick it off by doing an event again, and short local events. So it doesn't really matter. But uh, yeah, you know, even on a tired week at a local event, I'm not going to, it doesn't count for anything, but I'm not going to go out there and be a slacker. Like this, why would I even bother showing up? 
And that motto can go into everything in life, man. We keep talking about that, right? Like I feel like everything that we're talking about here can go from what we're talking about in the endurance world and in triathletes and triathlons, I'm sorry, uh, into just real life practical application. It it definitely does. And looking at our backgrounds, like you going through recon, me going through selection, the Q course, like the entire time somebody's telling you, you can't do this. Yep. Yeah, I can. Watch me. You saying that you're better than me or that you, that I can't do it just makes me do it better. Like that's, that's it. Yeah. So keep like, keep saying that you can't do it. I think like, imagine if everyone in this world or in the United States do like when you say, let's say like, imagine everyone in the world that actually had that mentality, how much better people would be. (laughs) Right. You tell me I can't do something. Watch me do it. I might be able to, I might, I'm going to do it to my fucking 120%, 150%. Yeah. I might not beat the guy who does it all the time, Yeah, but guess what? (laughs) I'm still doing it. I'm still proving you wrong and proving those people around me wrong. Um, that's, you know, that's professionally, athletically, fitness wise. Like if you're going to do it, do it right. Do it to the best that you can. Even if you're doing it as an amateur for fun, like be the best fucking amateur you can be. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Right. Be the best version of you. And that's, and that's something that, you know, I like talking about all the time is just be the best version of you. It's going to be key. And that's where you don't have no downfalls now, or you have no regrets or, or anything, dude. So, um, but all right, man going to have to cut it short here now because I have to get ready to prep for something else coming up next. But Party time. I got a yeah. pre-race, uh, pre-race brick coming up right here anyways. So question for you. For if an amateur is looking to get into triathlons, what are some of the key points that you want them, like key points that you would like? Shoes, transitions, tri-suits. Would you say throw on like, you know, for instance, like for me, like I'm probably just going to go out there with no wetsuit, with a pair of, of virus tights and <laughs> – my bike can just get after it, bro. <laughs> Excellent. Um, <laughs> if you're looking at anything outside of running, endurance gear is expensive. Um, That's pretty much why I said I'm only going in my virus compression shorts yeah. and, <laughs> and my running shoes and my bike. Well, you guys are coming out with new soft lead endurance gear pretty soon. Yeah, but it's not going to be updated for up. It's not going to be ready for now this coming month no not 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 quite yet um you know open water swimming depending on the water temperature wetsuit is enormously helpful uh in addition to not freezing your ass off it gives you extra flotation which makes you a lot more efficient in the water um for guys that are just getting into it you can go to a lot of local multi-sport stores or even local bike shops will rent out wetsuits for the weekend for 25 30 bucks i think nice um so that's an option uh you know, cycling gear, really all that you need is a bike. Like I, I see people at local races all the time out there on mountain bikes, just out there having a good time. Um, a lot of the soft listeners will know this guy, but I started out racing triathlons on a uh, Bob Hanley's bike. Nice. And, uh, yeah. Bob Hanley's old Cannondale that he loaned me in the Q course and, uh, you know, got into it on this crappy old Cannondale started passing guys. I'm like, all right, maybe I should invest in my own bike. Um, then running shoes, like, you don't need much to go out there and actually do the event. And, you know, once you, once you start getting into it, it just gets expensive, but you don't need much to start out, go borrow some shit and get out there and do it. And, uh, you know, you guys at Softlead have sponsored me for the rest of the season. So by all means, I'll be an asset for any of your athletes that have questions. They can find me on Facebook or Instagram or uh, on my website and shoot me an email. What are those? What are those so they can find you? Uh, so Facebook, we have Nate Dressel try is my athlete page. 
And then I also run uh, Endurance Cubed. Our Instagram is at Endurance Cubed, and our website is www.endurancecubed.com. Those have my contact and my email on them. So software athletes can feel free to hit me up anytime. Cool. Um, uh, you know, as a, as an endurance brand and as a coach, I have access to a whole lot of sponsor codes for try specific gear. So definitely have uh, have software members feel free to ask me for any gear questions as well. And I can point them in the right direction. Cool. Well, do you, yeah, man, after you, I know I hit you up on Facebook asking, Hey, what good pair of shoes to wear? Cause I was, I was running bro in a pair of like, Reebok sprints that like I had like, yeah, dude, it was so bad. My feet were hurting. I was like, this is miserable. So I hit you up. I actually bought a pair of Brooks that were like 60 bucks. Nice. And I've had, put, uh, I've had great luck with Brooks. That's actually what I race in. Um, oh really? Okay. Yeah. But, uh, for my tr- daily training, I use Hoka's. Okay. H O K A. It's uh they look like those goofy moon shoes are super thick sole to them. Um, but they're a super lightweight, so, lightweight shoe, super cushioned. Um, and like for, for guys that have done the military stuff or just beating up their bodies, having that super cushioned shoe for your long training runs, is just, it's a godsend. Like it's saved my knees and hips the past two seasons doing all these training runs in a super soft cushiony shoe and then putting on a racing flat just for race day. So your Brooks shoe is actually a flatter, less. Thick yeah. Sole. Yeah. I use a, a Brooks P seven. It's a, okay. Yeah. It's like a super, super lightweight, uh, 10k shoe. Yeah. I know my Brook, my Brooks shoes right now, I forgot the name of them, but they're thick dude. Yeah. I like them a lot. So I might look into getting a pair of, of race shoes actually to test it out. Yeah. The, uh, getting a pair of racing flats, especially for sprint and Olympic distance stuff will help a lot. Um, I mean, you think about like just weightlifting, like the lighter it is, the more repetitions you can do. It's the same thing, putting a shoe on, like you got to lift that heavy shoe up tens of thousands of times. So if you have a lighter weight racing flat, it makes, it makes it that much more efficient, especially after you've swam and rode and beat yourself up for an hour already. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, man, I'm going to go ahead and uh, like I said, man, this has been a great podcast. Dude. I appreciate your time, dude, and uh, jumping on and sharing all the knowledge you have. Um, but you've already kind of pretty much said like how they can reach you. Um, and pretty much you have all the questions for everyone for that. So I appreciate your time, dude. And thanks again. And yeah, thanks for again, me. good luck on your try tomorrow, bro. Have fun. Is it a sprint or is it Olympic? Olympic. Olympic. Oh, okay, cool. You don't do sprints more, no more, huh? Uh, not really. It's, uh, when you look at the local races, a lot of the sprint distance stuff is guys just getting into it. Um, and I'm race for pro stuff. I'm racing long course, uh, half Ironman and full iron. So it's a completely different on the pro level. It's a completely different sport, like comparing a 800 meter sprinter to a marathon runner. Yeah. They both run, but they're completely different athletes. Different. Oh yeah, definitely. Completely different yeah. energy system curve completely. Yeah. So I'll do local Olympic distance stuff and then, uh, I've got two Ironmans coming up that you guys are helping me out with this year. Um, Ironman Louisville is October 15th and then, uh, Ironman Arizona is November 19th. So nice dude. Probably have some soft league guys at both of those to, uh, actually, you know what? Um, that might be a good thing. I know currently right now that Brett hit me up, uh, this week. He was asking what kind of, if I wanted to go to like any events to like put a tent up for soft lead and, and kind of push soft lead. So I might take you up on the Arizona one. Yeah. Yeah, you and Brent can uh, hang out there and ridicule me as I exercise in spandex all day. I mean, I like watching dudes in spandex all day. That's the reason why I got into triathlons. That's the reason why I went into SF is the short shorts. Exactly.
I'm actually doing a tip of the week next week on drown proofing and I might be wearing new t-shirts for this. I want pictures. <laughs> I'm, sure Doug, I'm sure Doug is going to try to get in on that just so that he can wear UD t-shirts on camera. Yeah. I think he just, I, but the thing is though, is he can't swim. How, okay. I, I mean, that's the reason why he didn't become a seal. Have you seen his hashtags? Almost a seal. That's, that's true. It's because of the swimming portion. But, dude, awesome podcast, man. I appreciate your time, dude. And again, man, thanks a, thanks a lot, dude. Appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll do another one in the near future. Definitely, for sure, man. All right, see ya.